situation where God's grace cannot operate in a person's life. You may be as far as you think you can get, but God still extends grace to you and mercy. If you have breath in your lungs, there's an opportunity to Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Feel free to uh, to have one. If you don't own one yourself, this could be our gift to you. If you do have one and you forgot it at home, you want to borrow one, um, by all means, they're up front. All right, so Jonah is where we are tonight. Um, we are currently going through the Minor Prophets, um, and we are going through them one book at a time. So we're looking at each letter in its entirety um, so we went through the whole book of Hosea. We went through the whole book of Amos. We've gone through the whole book of Joel. Um, last week was Obadiah with uh, Brendan McPeak, which I heard was fantastic. So if you haven't listened to that yet, um, make sure you, you go to the podcast, the Refuge Young Adults Podcast, and you can catch up on all those things. Yep, yep. And uh, yeah, so tonight we're going to cover the book of Jonah. And I know what you're thinking. We just studied through the book of Jonah, like not that long ago. So how many of you were here when we studied through Jonah um, more in depth? Darn it. Dang. Okay. Um, how many of you forgot like everything? Okay, cool. So how many of you, uh, maybe it's easier, how many of you weren't here when we went through Jonah? That makes me feel a little bit better. But um, so maybe, maybe this is redundant for you, but it'll be different. We're going to see it in, in the totality of the story. So... From start to finish, we'll see it all the way through um, tonight, but um, yeah, exciting stuff. The Book of Jonah it is the most well-known of all the minor prophets, but he's the worst prophet, like the worst, and we're going to see why. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into it tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time to worship you, uh, time to, again, just fix our eyes upon you and uh, settle in from um, a day of work, a day of school, um, just all the busyness around us. And Lord, we, we want to, uh, again, just be reminded that you were with us every step of the way today. Lord, you saw everything that went on. And, and so, Lord, you know what we're coming in with. You know um, the emotions in our hearts and minds that we're, we're going through. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that your, your word would minister to our hearts in the way that we need it most. And um, Lord, we thank you for this, this short little book in your word. And we do um, hope to draw from it, God, your heart and your intention. And so would you speak to us in the power of the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Um, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably know this story. Um, if you grew up an atheist, you probably know the story. <laughs> Everyone knows the story. It's, it's one of the most famous, someone wrote or, or said that it was the most famous short story in all of history is the book of Jonah. Now, uh, each minor prophet that we've been going through has a, uh, a kind of two taglines. So two sentences that kind of sum up what they're about. 
um, and why they're in the Bible. So Jonah is the prophet in the fish. Probably figured that one out. And the theme of it is Israel and the grace of God. So we're going to be looking at uh, that topic this evening. Everything and everyone in this book, everything and everyone encounters God and is changed by God except Jonah, right? He's the most famous of the prophets, but he's the worst of the prophets. Like God says, go east, he goes west, right? He does the exact opposite of everything that God tells him to do. Jonah does the opposite. Now, the book of Jonah is the 32nd book of the Bible. It is the most well-known short story, like I said. Uh, whether you grew up in church or not, you probably have heard it. Um, however, familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? It means like you don't care as much. There you go. Okay, so the more you're familiar with something, you're like, eh, whatever. Like even California, we're familiar with it, and we forget how awesome it is. Um, the, the mountains were over there, and you can see them on your drive on the 5 freeway. You're like, hey, there's mountains. While you're next to the beach, like that's pretty cool. I just came back from Tennessee, and guess what? They don't have an ocean. They have really dirty ponds, and you're like, and it's freezing. Like it was freezing Cold. One of the things I did while I was there is throw chunks of ice into other chunks of ice and was like, oh, yeah. It was freezing, okay? Um, so familiarity brings, breeds contempt um, a lot of times. And same thing with the book of Jonah. We're familiar with it, but a lot of times we lose the, the, the meaning of it or the depths of it and why it's in the Bible. Um, this book is, is about Jonah. It's about Jonah, which is different than all the other minor prophets, right? Amos was not about Amos. Amos is about the people of God. It's about the nation of Israel. Hosea was about Gomer for like three chapters in her, or her adultery, but it changes to the, the tone of it is about the people of God and them committing spiritual adultery upon the Lord, right? It's communicating the heart of God. Jonah is completely different than all the minor prophets in that it's talking about the prophet, Jonah, right, the three cyclical themes of, of the Minor Prophets are, if you, you, does anyone know what they are? They're all R's. Returns one, yes. Repent and restore. Oh, you just validated my whole career as a <laughs> pastor. Yes, those are the three themes. To return, return to the covenant of the Lord. To repent of your sin, meaning to turn back to God. And when you do, God will restore you. That's, that is the theme of every one of the minor prophets, right? It continues to come up as you read through them. Jonah is the only prophet that needed to hear his own message. Okay? It's, it's fascinating in that way. So the story of Jonah is about Jonah. He was a prophet called by God to represent the Lord to the Jewish people. Um, but he will come to find out that Jonah had a different idea of God. He had a God of his own making, right? There are certain aspects of God's character that Jonah did not agree with, and we'll see some of that tonight. So let's actually read a verse, and then we'll talk about it. So verse 1, did we pray? We did. This is what happens when I miss a week. Okay, so now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, Amittaiah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. <laughs> it's just a fun word to say, Tarshish. 
So he paid the fare and went down into it to go to them to Tarshish for the presence of the Lord. Okay, got through. Okay? It makes me giggle every time I read it. Tarshish. Okay. Here's what we know about Jonah. Jonah was the successor of Elijah. He was the son of Amittai, whoever that was. And he was probably acquainted with Elijah and Elisha. Um, he was the link between them and Hosea, Amos, and Isaiah. So it is likely that he was trained in the school of the prophets uh, with those guys and that, and that he exercised his ministry during the reign of Jeroboam II and perhaps before it. He was a, a prophet called to the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember at this time, Israel is divided into two countries or two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah, very good, which Jerusalem was located in. So we have the northern kingdom of Israel, and we have the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kings were horrible kings, okay? Always, they were terrible kings um, throughout the, the history of the nation of Israel. And all the minor prophets are a call to um, those kingdoms and to call to repentance from their uh, idolatry, from their sexual immorality, from their sin, um, to turn back to God, to return to the covenant, this one is different because Jonah is not called to go to Israel or to prophesy to the northern, nor, northern, northern kingdom of Israel. He is called to go to a pagan, wicked city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. If you remember in the book of Amos, Amos prophesied that if they did not turn and come back to the Lord... Right, they would be led away with fish hooks in their flesh. Right, it was one of the prophecies that he he told the people that if if you don't return to the Lord, you will be brought into captivity. You will be conquered, and the way that you're going to be led away is by fish hook in your body, like in your face. You're going to be fish hooked, strung together, and led off into captivity. And that is exactly what the Assyrians did to the Israelites, the Ninevites, these people. That's what they did. And we know that specifically because it was painted on their walls. If you, if you go to England ever, you know, in your spare time, um, you can go to these museums that have, or Google, that also works. Um, you can see these pictures of archaeological digs that they have found, the remains of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire and Assyrian cities and things like that. And these things are painted on their walls of the way that they tortured and afflicted their captives. It's a nasty city. Um, and Jonah hated these people, mainly because of the way they treated his people, but also because they were Gentiles. So you see the difference in all of the minor prophets. Called, most of them called to prophesy against Israel. Jonah is called to go to a Gentile city who he hates. It's very different. And you're like, why, why is this story in the Bible? Because it ends horribly also. Just, <laughs> you weren't paying attention now, now you're really not paying attention. Because it ends worse. Like it ends with this cliffhanger where God says, should I not be merciful? Like is it right for you to be angry? And then it ends. We don't know how Jonah, we don't know what happens to the guy. No, there's no restoration. God doesn't vindicate him in the end. Like that's it. It just ends. Because the story, although it's a, is entitled Jonah, and, and it gives us pictures into his life, this is a, a book that is theological in nature. It teaches us about who God is, right? It's communicating who God is. So he's called to go to Nineveh. It was a horrible city. Um, 
And, and, and so he goes the opposite way. He goes in the opposite direction. But for, you have to understand the severity of the call as well. To do this would be the equivalent of a Jewish rabbi going to Berlin in 1943 and calling Nazi Germany to repentance. Like, that's a, it's a heavy call, but I don't think it's as bad as Hosea, right? Marry a prostitute and have some kids with her, and she's going to commit adultery on you for a long time. Like, this is a little bit better of a gig, but still difficult. And we can mistake God's mercy, however, for his approval. In God's mercy towards Nineveh and his warning towards them, he was never approving of the things that they did. But in God's warning, we see God's merciful heart. Okay, This book is about God. And the question that Jonah asked is, is why would God reach out to our enemy? The enemy of his chosen people. And this teaches us about God's heart for the believer and for the unbeliever. The book teaches us about God's heart for sinners. And the book of Jonah is intended to be like a mirror and that we see ourselves. And the question is, like, what are we going to see? As we look into it, are we going to see the beauty of God or the brokenness mirrored in Jonah's life as well? So Jonah is running from God. God tells him to go to Nineveh. He runs the opposite direction. He finds a ship. It's going to Spain. Um, he's supposed to go to modern-day Iran, Iraq area, and he jumps a boat to go to um, Spain. It reveals also a tendency in all of us, and that is to run from God. All of us have a tendency, or proclivity, uh, to use a cooler word. Um, we have a tendency to run from God. And where is it that we run to? Okay, there's, and if you were with us when we studied Jonah, remember there's two ways in which we run from God. One is either lawlessness or legalism. Lawlessness in the sense that God says you're called to be holy. Lawlessness is the opposite. God calls us to be holy. We say I'm going to be unholy. God says to be faithful. We say I'm going to be unfaithful. It's direct disobedience to the Lord. So, so in, Nineveh, in Jonah's life, he goes the opposite direction of what God tells him to do, in lawlessness. Later, you're going to see that he falls into the same sin uh, also of legalism, that he feels that these people should be tormented and, and judged, but he doesn't because of what he does, the rules that he follows, the people that he belongs to. He says, I don't, I don't deserve the same punishment they deserve. I am very lovable. Obviously, by God. Legalism, or religiosity to use another word, is, is what we see in the second half of the book. After he's swallowed by the fish, he goes to Nineveh, he preaches half-heartedly, then goes and sits on a hill to watch God burn the city. And he goes to that city angry with God, hating his neighbor, and that's how the book ends. But we see legalism, and we see lawlessness, um, mirrored for us in the New Testament through the story of the prodigal son. Remember, there's two brothers. There's two sons in that story. One brother goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have my inheritance. So would you just give me what you owe me? Uh, I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. So he goes, he lives prodigally, you know, you know the story. He goes and spends his money on booze and women and partying and spends it all, ends up living with pigs, um, wanting what they, they're eating. 
You remember he has this, what Oprah would call an aha moment, where he's like, what am I doing? Like my, the servants in my dad's house live better and eat better than this. I'm going to go back home. You remember he goes back to his dad's house. He has his speech prepared. Like, I'm going to tell my dad this, and I'm going to tell him that. And he doesn't even have time to get the words out. His dad runs to him and falls upon him and covers him. And you know, if you know anything about Jewish history to, to, or Jewish tradition, to say that and to shame your father like that was punishable by death through stoning. So as, as this young man is walking back into the city, no doubt the father standing on the hill looking for his son to come back. You could also see the village people. <laughs> Not the village people, but you could see <laughs> like an Indian chief and a policeman coming out. And they're like, what? You, know? <laughs> you could see the other people in the town. There we go. Coming out and starting to pick up rocks. And it's like, oh no. What he did was punishable by death. And so the father runs and covers his son. So not, not, if, if a rock is thrown, it hits the dad, not the son. And he, he's, he's like, dad, I'm so sorry. Like, let me be a servant. He says, put a ring on his finger, put rope, a robe on him, put sandals on his feet. My son who is dead is now alive. He's home. Right? And we love that story. I love that story. It gives me goosebumps. I have him right now. But you remember there's a, a second son in that story? And his, he sees his brother getting a party and they're killing a fatted calf and they're celebrating him coming home. And he's like, you have never done that for me. I have served you faithfully. I've done everything you've asked. And you've never done anything for me like that. What is that? His father says to him, you've always been in my house. You're my son. Like you've, you, you have everything that I have is yours. It belongs to you. And the son is, is so upset that his, his brother is coming home. And what you see in that story is mirrored in legalism, right? Because I do all these things, I deserve this, right? That's legalism. Um, you're putting God into your debt. That's legalism. Like, right? You, you treat God like a vending machine. I put 50 cents in. I deserve a candy bar, right? That's, that's essentially what legalism is. Put God into our debt, and that son, that's what he does. I've done everything you've asked. You owe me. So you run from God, and all of us have a tendency to run from God, either in lawlessness or legalism. Both push us away from God. Both, will, will find, you'll find yourself in a distance from the Lord. And that's what Jonah does. He runs from God. He finds himself in a boat. He pays the fare. He gets uh, to escape the presence of the Lord, which is silly, Right? This is a prophet of God. Shouldn't he know that God is omnipresent? You cannot escape the presence of God. He's going to learn it in a few verses. He gets onto a boat. <coughs> he thinks he's escaped. It says in verse 4, God sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship. Notice this downward spiral in Jonah's life as he runs from God. He goes down, he pays the fare to escape the presence of the Lord. He goes down into the bottom of the boat, and soon he's going to find himself at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. Like, that's low. That's about as low as you can get. Um, so... 
The captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps God will consider us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. And then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? Talk about an awkward conversation, right? And they're like, <coughs> Remember what I said, every person who encounters God is changed by God in this story. The captain and the sailors are affected by their encounter with God here. Guess who's not affected? Jonah. The guy just is bent on on running from God, on getting away from God, on the call that God has upon his life. But here's what he does. As he escapes, as he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat... God sends this crazy storm um, that these sailors who were experienced would say, this is not a normal storm. Like, this is, this is of, of biblical proportion. Like, this is a God-sent storm. So everyone just start praying. Like, pray to your God, whoever God. I don't care what God. We need to start praying or we're all going to die. And they start casting lots. And notice they start grilling Jonah. Like, where are you from? Who's your God? What's your occupation? And he's like, well, um, so, funny story. <laughs> You're going to laugh when you hear it. Um, what does he say? I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, why have you done this? Interesting, right? They know about this God of Israel, the God of the Hebrews, right? And they're like, why would you do that? Why would you upset the God who crushes cities out of, with, with shouts? Like, why would you do this kind of stuff? Idiot. No, that's not what they say. <laughs> but Jonah tells him, pick me up and throw me into the sea. This is, this is the only way it's going to stop. It's because of me. It's my fault. And some commentators believe that this is Jonah just at a at a dark, dark place in his life where he's suicidal. He's like, I just don't care anymore. I'm done. I'd rather die than go tell these people about God's mercy that would come to them. Like, that's a jacked up heart, isn't it? I remember someone asking, like, uh, the question, who do you hate so much that you would withhold the gospel from them and watch them burn in hell? Like, that's a hate unlike any other. And, and, and it's, it's supposed to be this mirror into our own heart of, of who, who in my life am I so... And listen, hate is like a poison in us. And so we ask ourselves that question. Is there someone that... Is there someone like that in my life? Where I'm more concerned about my comfort, I'm more concerned about not having an awkward conversation... I'm more concerned with, with my own um, um, my own reputation than I am concerned about their soul and where they're going. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Um, he he's thrown into the sea. He's picked up, thrown into the city, into the sea, and it says the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now, not every difficulty in our life 
is a direct result of sin, okay? If you get a flat tire, like, I knew it. It's because of that bad thought I had. Like, God's punishing me. No, like, you probably hit a nail. <laughs> you know, like, things happen. It's not like, you know, you get sick and you're like, oh, God's punishing me for my sin. Like, that's, that's not, it's not always a direct result. But in this case, it was. It was. It was a direct result of Jonah running from God. God sent this storm into his life. And it revealed certain things in Jonah's life. It begins to reveal to us um, uh, all sorts of, of different behaviors and consequences, but also that sin always has a consequence. God loves us too much to allow us to continue in sin without a consequence, right? You, you've all met kids that their parents let them continue to act a certain way with no consequence, and we see the result of it, Right? Eventually, they experience the consequences of it. In the same way, God loves us to the point where if you continue to run in sin from him, if you continue to go in that direction, God will give you up to the consequences of those sins in order that brokenness would bring you back to the one who can heal. It's an act of God's mercy that you would experience the consequence of sin, right? And so often, and that's what we're seeing in the, the minor prophets, where God says, if, if you don't return, judgment will come. It will. There will be a consequence to the sin. But if you will return, restoration will come. Like the promise of the Messiah was this thing that, that they held on to as, as restoration would come from the Lord through the sending of the Messiah. But here he is sinking to the bottom of the boat. But look at what, or bottom of the boat, the bottom of the sea. In verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Before Jonah ever had the idea of like, I'm just going to get thrown in the sea and I'm going to end it all, God had prepared a vessel of grace in this fish, Right? There's this word prepared right there. God had already seen it, already knew it, and said, Jonah, I'm not going to let you escape like that. I'm going to teach you about my grace. And Jonah will be enrolled into the school of God's grace in chapter 2. Here he is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And Jonah begins to pray. Jonah prayed, verse 1 of chapter 2, and Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. How do we know? How do we know what grace looks like? Well, here's a good picture of it. A man who's in rebellion to God, who's running from God's call, who's in sin, and what happens? God still hears his prayer. That's grace. That's grace. If there was ever a time where God would turn his ear away and be like, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you. You're crazy. Right? If there's ever a line for Nacho to come in, it's right there. I'm not listening to you. You're an idiot. Like, if there's anyone who could say, like, yes, I have heard the voice of God, and I'm, if you heard the voice of God, right? Audibly, which we all desire. I've always desired, like, if I could just hear the audible voice of God, like, that would be enough. Where he's like, yeah! And you're like, ah! You're real and like you know like my faith would become stronger but he doesn't do that if Jonah heard the audible voice of God go to Nineveh and he's like 
No. How do you like that? Like toddler mentality to the max. Like, no, you're dumb, right? That's essentially what he's saying. I'm smart, you're dumb, God. I'm leaving. If there was ever a time, right, where God's like, fine, rot for all I care. That's not what happens. God hears his prayer. Apparently, some believe that Jonah did nothing for three days and three nights, just sulking in the belly of the fish. And finally, he's like, okay, I'll pray about it. We don't know. But he was a representative of the Lord. He had deliberately disobeyed God. That was a major offense to the Lord. God takes his prophets very seriously. So Jonah knew God's word. He quotes it in his prayer, right? He even knew the word of God. Look, in Psalm 18, 6, it says, In my distress I called upon the Lord, and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice in his temple, right? And then in, in verse later, it says, Deep calls into deep, and the noise of, the, of your waterfall, all your waves and billows have gone over me. He says uh, in verse 3, For you cast me in the deep, into the heart of the seas, and your floods surround me, and all your billows and your waves passed over me. He's praying scripture. He's praying the Psalms here. He's praying, and he's, he's saying, God, I know your word. I know your word. Hey, I'm your prophet. I know your word. And he's in rebellion, and yet God hears him. That is grace. It's the grace of God. That God still inclined his ear to Jonah's prayer. Jonah was in sin and he knew it, but yet God heard this prayer. That, my friends, is grace. It's unmerited favor from God. Does Jonah earn, does, does, he, does he deserve to be heard? No, absolutely not. But God does. Jesus told the parable in Luke 18. He says, <coughs> he told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I have. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift his eyes to heaven and he beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down from his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who hum humbles himself will be exalted. It's as though Jonah is surprised by this grace. He says in verse three, you cast me into the sea, Right? You prepared the storm and prepared the fish. You're pursuing me? He's shocked. Like, look at all that I've done, and yet you're, you're still chasing after me? You've kept me alive? I'm in the belly of this fish. Who knows if I'm going to make it out? But yet, you're allowing me to have this moment in time where I can repent? God, what kind of grace is this? This is incredible. And, and I hear he says, it's as though Jonah is shocked. and I deserve to be here. It should, be, should have been the end of me. But you spared my life. And I hear that. I, here I am at rock bottom, and you're listening to my prayer. Notice the language. The depths of the dead, uh, if you continue, verse 4. Then I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The waters surround me, even in my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds are wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, right? The, the very roots of the mountains, the earth was with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought, my, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. 
Notice the words that he used, the depths of the dead, the belly of Sheol, right? Another reference to hell. This is no situation that God's grace, there is no situation, excuse me, there is no situation where God's grace cannot operate in a person's life. You may be as far as you think you can get, and God still extends grace to you and mercy. If you have breath in your lungs, there's an opportunity to repent, to get right with God. Oh, there will be a consequence, absolutely, that we live with often. We experience it because that's, that's the result of sin. Sin always produces death. It never has another outcome. That's what it pays us as a wage, right? The wages of sin is death. What it pays you with is death. But there is always restoration in God. Thankfully, we serve the God who raises the dead back to life. So there's no place where God's grace can't operate, including the depths of the sea in the belly of a fish. Um, but how can God use such a dark and desperate place to teach us about himself, right? If, if God wanted to teach us about himself, you think there's probably other lessons that he could use. Why this one? Charles Spurgeon, he says, the Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our hearts on the black horse of affliction. And Jesus uses the whole range of our experience to wean us from earth and to woo us to heaven. Christ is exalted to the throne of heaven and earth in order that by all the processes of his providence, he may subdue hard hearts to the gracious softening of repentance. <coughs> it was here that Jonah learns of God's grace and he learns of God's omnipresence, right? He's like, you're here with me. In, in this dark place. Same with David. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? You are with me. You're with me. God often uses dark spots in our life and dark times in order to reveal himself, his goodness, who he is, that he never leaves us, his character. I mean, the lesson of life is the lesson of theology. It's, it's learning who God is through life. It was in the valley for David that he learned of God's omnipresence. And for Jonah, it was the depths of his own failures that God, that, that he is awakened to God's grace. Okay, so verse, that's his prayer. Verse 10, it says, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's awesome. This is very awesome details that he vomited. The, the fish literally heaved. Jonah out of his body. Like, that is so cool. Did you guys hear it? In 2020, there was a man lobster diving off the coast of Cape, Cape Cod, and he was swallowed by a whale. He was on Jimmy Kimmel. Like, <laughs> he got picked up by a whale, and he was fully inside of this whale, and the whale just started swimming off with him, trying to swallow him. And he's like, what am I going to do? He couldn't open the fish's mouth. He's like, he just got scooped up by this whale. And finally the thing starts choking on him. And his first mate is watching on the, on the surface this whale's tail like flopping and going crazy. And finally he just comes up in these bubbles and he's like, like he got swallowed by a whale. It's, it can happen. Like it happens. Look it up. There's a whole 60 minutes on it. It was fascinating. I watched it on YouTube the other day. 
It's, a, it's incredible. And this guy, it, this is the, you have to listen to his story. This guy is the most unlucky person I've ever heard of. He's been like shot. He's been like stranded at sea. All these horrible things. And he's like, he's like, yeah, like it happens all, you know. Just, yeah, I got bit by a shark and, and, you know, speared by a fisherman. And like all these horrible things have happened. And he's like, for some reason, I'm still alive. You know, you're like, Wow. Wow. God's grace. Like, that's what it is, man. You still have breath in your lungs. Anyway. But I want you to see something in verse 4 before we move on. Verse 4 of chapter 2. Look what he says. I had been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. What took place in the temple? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. God's grace has provided a way of escape through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sin, repentance. Like it can all be restored because of the sacrifice of Jesus. There was a, a prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8 at the dedication of the temple. Um, it's actually said that when each one knows the plague of his own heart, and spreads out his hands towards his, this temple, then here in heaven in your dwelling place, and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all sons of men. This is a prayer, the dedication of that temple, that God, if anyone looks towards your temple, would you please forgive them and act for them? Right? What an incredible little vignette that God's grace is the same in the Old Testament and the same in the New Testament. The same mouth where God pronounces judgment in the Old is the same mouth that comes from, that, that speaks through Jesus, the Son of God. It's the same. There's not like this grumpy old Marine Corps dad in the Old Testament who's like, burn them all, Semper Fi. And then the New Testament comes, and Jesus is like the, the hippies in the 60s. He's like, long hair and flip-flops. And he's like, love and peace, bro. <laughs> yeah. We're like, God changed his mind. It's not. It's the same God. It's the same words. And that's, I believe, why Jonah is, is in, this, in this book, like in, in the collection of Scripture, is that it's communicating the heart of God, not only for the unbeliever, to the Gentile, the, the grace of God is being extended, the warning of judgment that is to come, but also to his own prophet, who needed to hear his own message of return to God, repent of sin, to the legalist and to the lawless, God's grace is extended. And it, and it communicates for us what our hearts should be for people, not only in the church, but outside the church. Not only for the, the jerk at the coffee bar at church who didn't say hi to you, but also like the, the dirty guy at Trader Joe's who's just a heathen dog who's never heard the gospel. Both of them need the grace of God. And both of them are saved by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. No one gets into heaven apart from God's grace. You can't. It's impossible. And so Jonah um, gets spit up onto the beach. He comes to his senses and he's like, all right, I'm going to go to Nineveh. And he starts walking. Notice, in the belly of a fish for that many days, 
um, he would have started to, he would have been digested, partially digested. So more than likely, his skin has been bleached white. Um, his hair is gone. All the hair on his body, gone. Uh, his clothes have been disintegrated, right? Uh, he's got seaweed wrapped around him for covering, you know. Um, it's in vogue. He's just cut, he smells like, he smells exactly the inside of a fish. If you've ever smelled, it's not that pleasant. So he begins to walk, and it's a far walk. It's not like he got spit up on the beach and he like walks in and like in three hours, and he's like, <coughs> you would not believe what just happened. Like that, <laughs> what happens is a few days, it would have taken him at least a week or so or more, I think it was a month, if I remember studying it correctly. It's in here somewhere. I think it's like a month. It takes him to walk to Iraq. Like that's, right? It takes him a while to get there on foot. Suddenly, the grace of God is long in the distant past. And he's walking into Nineveh. And he begins to preach this message. And he says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Preach it to the message that I tell you. And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was exceeding. Right, okay? So now is a timestamp in Scripture. Okay, when you're reading your Bible, if you ever hear a now or a then, okay, you just mark that as, a, as like a time post um, of, of things changing or time passing. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Okay, that's a three-day journey not from the shore to get there, but to cross the city. It takes three days to walk across it. Like That's a big Big city. And Jonah began to enter the city in the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. No mention of grace, no mention of a way out, right? He's not like, Now here's what you need to do, okay? He just begins to walk through the city, a bleached, white, bald, naked man, and he begins to walk through the city, yet forty days. Nineveh will be overthrown. And there is national revival. National. Every person, man, woman, child, animal, is called to repentance. They tear their clothes, they put on sackcloth, they put ashes on their head, and they repent. They even make their cows do it. Why? Because they're like, maybe God will relent. Now, Jonah, now, as a pastor... Anytime someone listens to what you're saying and responds, I'm pretty stoked. They're like, yeah, that was, you know, I'm going to do that. And you're like, Holy Spirit just totally worked in that guy's life. That's awesome. I'm never upset when someone's like, I'm going to change my life. You're like, idiot. Why would you listen to me? That's dumb. It's rarely my response. That is Jonah's response. People turn from their sin and repent, and he gets mad about it. He gets mad about it. Chapter 4. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Man, Jonah's heart is revealed. <laughs> this is Jonah's second prayer in the book. And it says, um, out of, Luke's gospel tells us, in Luke 6, 45, it says, out of the mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And I don't know if you guys had moms like my mom who, you know, when you'd say something, you're like, I didn't mean it. She's like, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Get my spoon or whatever. Right? That was always the thing. She always hit me with scripture. And I'm like, 
I can't argue with that one. You're right, Mom. So Jonah began to speak to God, and what is revealed is his own heart. A man who experienced the immense grace of God, whose life was changed by the grace of God, who's like, you know what? I was wrong. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you say. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you a second chance. And he gets vomited onto a beach. He then goes and preaches the gospel or preaches a message of repentance. The people listen. They turn. And he's like, God, why would you do such an evil and wicked thing? That word displeased in the original language, it is a word that means um, that Jonah saw the act of God's mercy as evil and wrong. So much so that it caused him to burn with anger. So angry that we better if he were to die. Like, that's, that's what it means. He saw it as evil. God's relenting from, from destroying this city like Sodom and Gomorrah. God, God relenting from, from pouring out his wrath. He says, what an evil God that I serve. Why? They deserve it. Oh, oh, uh-oh. They deserve to be judged. And Jonah was one of those guys who needed to film himself preaching and film the things he was saying and then watch the video and back and be like, oh, man, you're right. I deserve it. What he was calling down on them was the exact same sins that he was committing. He was running from God and falling into sin. And the same sins that, they, that these guys were, although wicked, although a great city, although they were... Uh, or were ignorant of their ways, Jonah was doing the exact same thing. What was the difference? Jonah says, I, I'm lovable. I'm your chosen people. I'm your prophet. I know scripture. I go to church on a Thursday. <laughs> you know, I serve in children's ministry for crying out loud. I am lovable. Jonah, man, what an interesting little dude. An angry little nationalist, like, burn them all, yeah! America! Like, right? This is such a crazy little dude. He's got like 19 Trump flags, like driving down his, his F-250, and he's just like, yeah, guns, God, and glory! Bah, 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 bah. Texas forever! Right? He's like your Mima on Facebook, just like, you know, going crazy. It was weird, anyway. Gosh. He says, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? <laughs> Isn't this what I told you would happen? This is, this, imagine the audacity of this man, this little man who's naked and bald and bleached white, to sit there on this hill and be like, God, I told you. <laughs> I told you so. This is the attitude. And as, as ridiculous as it sounds, it's exactly what's happening. Guys, this is what pride and religiosity does. It blinds you to the fact that you are saved by grace. Not, not by anything that you have done, but purely because God is good. Gosh. And I don't know about you, I fall into this stuff all the time. I call people out on sin that I myself am so guilty of. And, I, and if anyone knew, I'd be so embarrassed. But yet I call it out and point it out and I say, how dare they? Man, 
You think Jonah, <laughs> that's what he's doing. They deserve to be burned. And God says, Jonah, so do you. So do you. But I'm going to choose to be gracious to these people. I'm going to spare them. I'm going to spare their lives. He tells Jonah, there are 120,000 children in this city, Jonah. Should I not be merciful to them? And that's how the book ends. There's children. There's innocent people there. He, he's, Jesus would say they're, they're sheep without a shepherd is what they are. And God's heart is revealed for, for the world. It's a God of mercy. It's a God of grace. It's a God of kindness. And he calls us the, the chief of sinners who've, whose lives have been radically changed by the grace of God. And that is the motive in which we go out from this place, sent out, changed by the grace of God, renewed by the grace of God, saved by the grace of God. And we tell people, hey, no matter where you are, how far you are, what you're into, God can save you because he's a gracious God. Man, Jonah is sitting on this hill in the scorching heat and God in the night springs up this beautiful plant over him and shades him. And Jonah is so thankful for the plant. He's like, oh, thank you, God. And then God sends a worm. And the worm eats it. And Jonah is angry. <laughs> he's just burning. He's like, it's, again, so dramatic. Like, why don't you just kill me? Like, let me die. Like, so, so much drama. I love it. But the Lord said, you have had pity on a plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? God says, who doesn't know their right hand from their left? Don't raise, I'm not asking that as a question. I'm saying, <laughs> you're like, that's me. Children usually don't know their right hand from their left, Right? So God's telling Jonah, you, you're more concerned with a plant than you are these people. There's something wrong with you, Jonah. Should I not pity them? Should I not have mercy on them? And the book just ends. What we do know from history is that sometime later, Nineveh is judged because they repent, but over time they go back to their sin and their ways. But God relented. In, in that time and did not pour out judgment upon them. And, and man, this is such a, it's such a weird story. But notice, every person who came in contact and everything that encountered God was changed by God except Jonah. That's what religiosity and legalism does. You know, recently someone, I was talking to someone and um, I was like, oh, how was church? And they're like, I liked it. And I thought to myself, so what? I didn't say it out loud. That's rude. But so what if you liked it? Do you think the pastor, that's why he got up there to tell like to do, to teach you God's word is so that you liked it? I hope they like this. What are we, 12? When we come to the God's word, it's not so that we like it. That's not the purpose of it. The question we should be asking is, has God changed me? Has God, done a, has God done a work in me? Not, I liked it. 
Often when God works in us, we don't like it. Right? When you have to exercise, I don't know about you, I don't like it. Someone says do lunges, and I'm like, no. (laughs) I will do the opposite. I will lounge, you know? (laughs) But anytime we come to God's word, the question isn't like, oh, I like that. I highlighted that. I circled it with a heart. Although you may do that, and that's fine. I encourage you to highlight in your Bible. But the purpose of of God's word is not so we like it. It's so that God can work in us, right? It's a mirror to our own heart. And that's what Jonah does. That's what this book does. It's, (coughs) It's to cause us again to be re-amazed by the grace of God. If you're not amazed by the grace of God, you need to be re-amazed by God's grace in your own life. Begin to think about all the ways that you deserve salvation and start writing them down. And then write down all the reasons why you don't deserve it. And then again, you'll be amazed by the grace of God. Right? Um, The church began as a work of God's grace and the church continues to work and move and function as a work of God's grace. The church is not for perfect people and like um, the Target brand of Christian as opposed to the Walmart brand, right? The church is, is a place that is messy and filled with sinners because that's where God's grace is. And we need it. And so we come to the throne of grace, not judgment. Um, and that's, I think, what Jonah reveals in a nutshell, right? We, we spent a lot of time in this book already, so. But just a good reminder that, man, as much as I pray, um, as much as I pray, like, Lord Jesus, come. May we also pray, God, would you relent and, like, hold back the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Like, may, may people be saved, from what is to come. And who knows? Perhaps God will. God is patient. God is kind. And, and just to make it more personal too, if you're in a place where you're like, no, nah, I don't think it's going to work in my life, it absolutely can. You just have to accept grace too. It's not something God will force upon you. Um, you're like, take my grace. Deal with it. Um, you have to accept it. So if you're stuck in this like legalism thing, like, yeah, God loves you because you do all these things. God loves you because he loves you, and that's because that's who God is. God blesses because God is a blessing God, not because you earn it or deserve it. And again, should re-amaze us at the grace of God. Like, wow, I'm a dirty, tweaked little sinner. And I'm, I'm going to, yep, I am messed up. Big time. In a lot of ways. But God is gracious. Amen? thankful for the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I do thank you for this this funky, weird little book smack in the middle of the Bible to again convince us of of your heart and convince us of who you are. Lord, if we've begun to have a God of our own making, Lord, we pray that you again reorient our hearts and our minds around you who you are. God, the grace that we so welcome in our own life 